idea that people really come and, and hear for themselves that God really does speak, even to people like us. Um, this is the last one in this series. I always, it, it, it makes me laugh that we advertised it as a, a six-week Bible study, and it's, it's eight weeks. So now we're on session nine, and that's the end. Session nine is the end. In two weeks' time, we, we will start a study on Second Timothy, and it's called um, uh, Unashamed and... No, Unafraid and Unashamed. Unafraid and Unashamed. And um, again... I think it'll probably be eight weeks. I'm going to say eight weeks rather than six. Um, yeah, so it'll be on, it'll, the title of it will be online. We haven't got any cards advertising it, so talk about it to people you know who don't regularly do Bible study, just that they might come and join us yes. here. Um, okay. So let's pray. Father, thank you that... Um, Thank you that we know you. Thank you that you uh, called us by this marvelous gospel and <coughs> moved us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Thank you, Lord, that we live in light and that we can know you because you are a God who wants to be known. Mm -hmm. I praise you, Lord, that you speak through this word. I praise you that you speak to people like us. I, I, I praise you and thank you that you haven't left us as we were and that you are about the business of transforming us in your amazing grace and mercy, transforming us into the image of Jesus. And I pray now, Lord, as we come to this last session and start to look at those final verses that Peter wrote, I, I pray, Lord, that we would hear your voice, that we would know that we're hearing your voice and that we would be ready to go along with the work of your transformation in us. And I praise you, Lord, for what you've done so far and for what you'll do this evening and uh, ask that you be honoured by our attention and, and by our discussion. And, um, yeah, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I thought, actually, that the best thing might be, because this is the last in, in this uh, study, if we read through the whole of Second Peter, if, if we just read a few verses each... Uh, we'll go right to the end and then we'll go back and review a little bit of what we've done and then get to the last session. So, section. So uh, just anybody start, but we'll try to go as, you know, as speedily as possible through, through the letter. Amen. It's actually quite a strong letter, isn't it? When you read the whole thing straight off, it's really, um, it, it strikes you much harder than it does when you read it piece by piece, which is what we've been doing. And so um, that's why I wanted to begin that way, really, because when you read the whole thing, you see exactly what Peter is doing. And um, I just wanted to, just by way of reminder, as Peter says, by way of reminder, go back over how we, how we broke this letter up. So um, we started, with obviously, with chapter 1 and the first 15 verses. Um, if you had to just put into a nutshell what Peter is trying to put over in those first 15 verses, what, what might you say? Who is he describing in those first 15 verses? Well, he starts with God, what God has done, but he's describing a person, a person who knows God. This is the one who knows God, lives like this. This is what he looks like. This is, this is who he is, the one who knows God. And, and he's going to break even those 15 verses up into two sections. And the first section is, as you've said, Carol, is about what God has done in order for us to know him and also to live as if we know him. So what has God done at first? What does he say? Not so much, you don't have to read the actual scripture or the actual details of what, but what, what does Peter say God has done? He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And what's the kind of pinnacle of what Peter says? I mean, if that's not good enough, that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, what is the pinnacle of what Peter says here in those first three or four verses? Yeah. He's given us those wonderful promises. Yeah, he's given us precious and magnificent promises. And what were you saying? We may be 
Exactly. We could, we, you and I, could be partakers, sharers of the divine nature. It sounds like blasphemy when you kind of think about it. It sounds like, how could that possibly be true, that I can partake of the divine nature? So in that, in that sentence, what does nature mean? I mean, what is he trying to say? What does the word nature mean? He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's made precious and magnificent promises. And, he, and by them, he says, we can partake, share in the divine nature. What, our, character. Yeah, our character. Our character. Mm-hmm. Think about what's God's purpose for your life now. What's his, life, his purpose for your life? That you would know him and in knowing him, that you will become like Christ. Remember 2 Corinthians, those, that wonderful verse at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There is this becoming that goes on. And that's what Peter says in, in different words. He says God has made precious and magnificent promises. And through those, by those, we are able to partake of the divine nature. And... We can, we can become like Christ. And that's his purpose for us. So um, when he goes on now in that first section, the one who knows God, first of all, the one who knows God has to do what? Don't, don't, for those, from those first four verses, if you're a person who knows God, you are a person who has done or has to do what? No, even before that, before that, Carol. It's so basic, you probably think it's too simple. Exactly, you have to believe what he says. The one who knows God believes God and believes his word. That's like the basic bottom line. That's what all the Bible tells us. If you profess to know God, then you believe what he says. You believe what he says and you trust what he says whichever way you want to look at that. And because you believe what he says, and because you trust that it's possible for you to partake of the divine nature, it's that he has made everything available to you for life and godliness. Because you know those things, what does the one who knows God do? You go after it. You act on what you believe. You act on what you believe. So the one who knows God believes the promises of God and then acts on those promises. Mm. Now, we looked at that for a long time, and I don't want to go over it too much, but we looked on that word supply. We looked at it to see what it means. And one of the definitions of that word in the original language is minister. Minister to yourself, godliness. Minister knowledge, minister. When you think about ministering, it has a slightly different connotation than the word supply. Mm. Because if you ask me to supply godliness, I'm going to say I haven't a clue how to do that. If you ask me to supply righteousness or holiness or grace or mercy or any of the attributes of God, character of God, I'm just going to say I can't do that. How will I do that? But if you tell me to minister something that God has already made available to, to me, I can say, oh, actually, maybe I can understand that. I can minister what God has already made available to me. The end result will be the same. The consequence of it will be the same. But the fear in it is removed. And the difficulty of it and the burden of it is removed because I've understood if I'm going to minister something to myself, what's going to happen? I'm going to be ministered to, I'm going to be blessed. If God's telling me to minister something to myself, just by the word itself, I know there's going to be something good at the end of that to me. And so Peter starts that way. He starts, this is what God has done. This is what he's promised promised to you. Now, receive that. Lay hold of that. And as you lay hold of it, you would by necessity be adding moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance. Those things would just be starting to happen in you and through you because you're laying hold of something that God has already done. We talked about that quite a lot. And, um, and so why do you think Peter starts there? 
why does he start in that way? Because really this is a letter of severe warning and judgment. And so why would he start that way? Yeah, to encourage us. To encourage us to do what? Hold on to it. Yeah, yeah. What's he, what's he trying to get over to us? I mean, he's going to go on to talk about false teachers and what they teach and how they do, how they live. So what do you think he's trying to set up, first of all? A method to um, overcome the corruption which we carry about in our very nature um, by ministering to ourselves. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, A, so you won't be deceived by false teachers. But his big premise in the whole letter is a person shows what they believe by the way they live. He's going to say, isn't he, at the end of the chapter, a dog returns to its vomit and a sow after washing returns to the mire. So what, Peter's, what the whole New Testament teaches is what you, how you live shows what you believe how you live, how you go on. It doesn't mean that you, you know, you're perfectly, living perfectly all the time. It means your desire and the way that that desire expresses itself in your behaviour and in your thinking and in your speaking shows what you actually believe. What it, so he's got to start that way, actually, because his whole thing is that false teachers are very enticing. Yeah. They say things we want to hear. And they say things that will make us initially feel very good. So he wants to be able to show us that actually you can't judge a book by its cover and you can't actually make quick and rash judgments unless they're totally obvious. It perhaps will take longer to see, to separate between truth and error. And that actually the only way to be totally discerning and to be able to separate truth and error is, well, maybe to see the fruit. Some people are very good at fake apples and things, you know. But the only true way is to know God so well that you know the real thing. You know what's real. And so... Although Peter's going to describe these false teachers and he's not going to go into every single strand of things they teach, he's going to talk about what happened to false teachers from Genesis through to his time, what will happen to them in future time, but he's mostly going to talk about their character and how they live <coughs> because it's those things that will give us the greatest indication of can I trust this person? Can I trust what they're saying? Um, and should I listen to them? Okay, so that's chapter one, really. Um, he talks about receiving promises, the promises we find out a bit later in the, in the letter. But basically he's saying that if we minister these things to ourselves because we trust God, because we trust he's done this, we will find at the end of it, A, that we won't be blind or short-sighted, and B, that there'll be this magnificent, lavish, abundant entrance into the eternal kingdom. And he paints this picture of, you know, sometimes we think about when I get to see the Lord, I'm just hoping I can just scrape in, you know. If I could just squeeze in around the door and he doesn't kind of notice that I'm there, that'll be fine. But Peter completely knocks that out of the water and he says, this is what's going to be supplied to you, ministered to you. It's the same word, ministered to you. And that is going to be this lavish, abundant entrance, a bit like a triumphant. Roman parade, and you are going to walk into heaven gloriously. You're going to glory, from glory, in glory. And it's going to be supplied, ministered to you as you minister these things to yourself. And the whole picture is so wonderful <laughs> that you almost don't want him to go on to the stuff in chapter 2 because you, you want to stay here for a while, you know, and... And ask the Lord to help us to really know him better and to understand how, how do I minister the, these things to myself? How do I continue to do that in my day-to-day, -day, everyday life? How do I do that? But Peter goes on and in chapter 2 he talks about what? What is he? What is 
yeah, false teachers, false prophets. Um, he talks about them and he describes them and, and their characters and then he, uh, he describes the consequences. Okay, this, is, this is deception, this is false, false prophecy, false teachers and this is the consequence of that. What's the consequence? Destruction, yeah. So what can we know about the false teachers that Peter is describing? Yeah. Come back from the details a little bit just yet. What can we know for sure about them? Are they saved or not? No. 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 Well, how do you know they're not saved? How do you know they haven't just got it wrong? Because they're doing it deliberately. How do you know that? Just from the the chapter. How do you know that from the chapter? Because they're denying the master who bought them. Peter writes, Jude writes almost exactly the same thing. And it, but Jude is very clear in the beginning. Jude will say, I think in about verse 3 or 4, he'll say, um, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but I had to write because certain people have crept in unnoticed turning the grace of God into licentiousness and even denying our only Master and Lord. So these are not believers who, who get it wrong. Actually, every believer gets something wrong. Every teacher gets things wrong. Everybody has faulty doctrine. It's impossible to be perfectly correct all the time. And so... Uh, and, and because we're always learning, you know, we're always learning, we're always going deeper with God, we're always getting to know him more and more. And so inevitably, what you know today, you didn't know five years ago. That's the, that's, hopefully, that's what's happening. So it's not the teacher who makes a mistake. This is the teacher or the prophet who deliberately misleads. And what Peter's saying is they're inside the church. They are inside the building inside the organization that calls itself the church. And that's why he's so intent on reminding them and warning them, because this is not someone outside, this is someone inside. <coughs> so um, he's going to talk about their destruction. Ultimately, we talked a bit this morning about what false teachers tend to teach. I mean, what would be the... False teachers are usually charismatic, they're usually very eloquent. Mm. They usually you know, have <coughs> massive followings. What, why would they have a massive following? What, what things will they be saying? Mm. Yeah, things you want to hear. Yeah. Bit more kind of... What, what, not the specific thing, but what, what, what does a, a false teacher primarily involved in? Yeah, building himself up and building you up. Most false teachers will begin with statements or teaching that start to build you up and want to make you feel good about yourself. And what they do is because the focus is on you, inevitably you get lifted up for a short time. And when you are lifted up, what happens also? <laughs> maybe, maybe. But if you are lifted up, who is denigrated? God. It's always God. If, you're, if the focus is on lifting people up, then it's inevitable that God will be made smaller. That is all a consequence of false teaching. God is made small and you are made big. And, and so that makes it really quite simple, actually, to, to look at things after, uh, over the course of time and say, actually, has this built God up in my mind? Has this glorified him? Has this made, made him big to me? Um, and, yeah, so you know what I mean. And Peter will say that because of them, the way of truth is maligned or blasphemed. The way of truth, and Jesus is the way of truth. He is the truth, he is the way. And because of this false teaching, he is maligned that he's done down, he's blasphemed. Um, I'm just sitting here wondering what makes, what makes them want to do this. Is it that they want to draw crowds to themselves? Or <coughs> I think so. I think it's that. Yeah, it's difficult because you don't want to do that and so you're the opposite of that. So it's kind of difficult to understand. But um, but, but, but they need to see it. So 
Well, you see, it would be nice to say they're all deceived, wouldn't it? We could say they're all deceived, and that's... Yes, these are people who are knowingly doing this, knowingly teaching error, knowingly taking you the wrong way. For money, for money. I mean, that's what he says in this chapter. Popularity, reputation, fame, who doesn't want a big crowd, you know? Um, and so it's, it's that sort of thing, and they're deliberately doing it for that reason. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, power, reputation, yeah, all of those things. Money, you know... And the thing is, thing is, you see, it would be great to say they're deceived, wouldn't it? It would be great to say they're really deceived. How can they, you know? But it, to deny the master who bought them means they are denying the the, the saviour who paid the price for their salvation. Whether they haven't taken it up, but he's paid their price. So deny to deny Christ is absolutely <laughs> the 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 description of an unbeliever, an unbeliever. Yes, yeah. Yes, exactly. So who was the archetypal person who wanted to be God and do God down? Satan. Satan. So Satan is the motivator of these people. He is the, he is the one who will energize the Antichrist and he is the Antichrist, if you like. So he is behind these false teachers um, and he will do anything to get people to follow them. That's what we see in our day. Whether Peter saw it so clearly in his day, I don't know. It sounds like he did. But um, it's certainly what's happening in our day. Satan is having a field day because people don't know God. They don't know God. Yeah. 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 And think about it. This is he's talking about inside the church now. He's talking about he's talking about teachers and prophets within the supposed family of God. I mean, that's the, the worst. We can take false teaching from outside and we can toss it out and know that that's not true. But when you get someone inside who uses the same words, we talked about that very early, who uses inspiration and spiritual and salvation and redemption and deliverance, you think you're talking to someone who believes what you believe. Yeah. 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 Ultimately... I think possibly they do. Yeah, possibly they do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's difficult for us because I think this is not just either or. There are people who know they're false teachers and aren't bothered about it at all. And then there are people who perhaps think they're hearing from God and actually, are, yeah. And then there are people who really are saved, but they're just teaching nonsense and, you know, heresy. So I think it's a, it's a long line of different things. Um, who ultimately suffers, well, God is obviously maligned, but if you're made a lot of in teaching, if someone tells you that you can be, God wants you to be happy, wants you to be the best person you could be, he wants, he wants everything to go well for you and all of those things and just look within yourself and you will find the strength to overcome, you know, all that, who will actually be a loser in that scenario? Why? Yes, and? Yeah, possibly. But what will ultimately happen with that, Debbie? What, what will be the end result of it? You will always fail. Because whatever you are, however positive you are, or however strong you are, you are nothing like God. So if you are relying on yourself in any way, shape or form, you will ultimately be disappointed and in despair probably because you will never be able to be what the false teacher says you can be you will never be able to live the way he says you can live and you will always be disappointed there you go and what satan's what does he want to do go ahead mike Yes. So 
in two minutes or less. Could you tell us what it means then to know God? Because if you talk to one of these people uh, who are followers of, say, Joyce Mayer, well, we actually, yeah, yeah. They'll bite your head off. Yeah, Joyce Meyer. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't listen to her at any length. And but she may end up. She may be a believer. She may not be the person that Peter's talking about. So, you know, it's quite difficult actually because what we see and hear are sound bites online, and we don't actually. So I'm not saying that we can't make a critical assessment of the things we do here, but I don't want to say she is or she is not a believer. No. So vehement adherence to right. one of these type of preachers. Yeah. So uh, so then what as I said in one minute, yeah. what does it mean then to, to know, know God? God? Well, the word know in scripture 99% of the time means by experience, in intimate relationship. So not always, but mostly. So that means it removes it from being a fact that you know the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, and it now becomes knowing in relationship. The way you know your wife or your husband, that's the actual <coughs> closest picture. Uh, but, you know, the way that you, you, yeah, you know him in intimate relationship. And, and, and all of that, in less than a minute, we can't go into the rest of it. But the rest of it is, of course, how do you know your wife, your husband? You, you spend time together, you, you share things, you, you listen. You, yeah, it's just relationship. That's what knowing is. Um, because, because Peter says that they deny Christ. I mean, that is really the ultimate. That's yes. the obvious to us. Yes. But these other guys and gals, they're so close to the truth. Yes, it's a job to yes, it is. It is. It is. It is. It is. I just think, for me, the simplest way to do it is, okay, who did that build up? Did that build me up or did that build God up? Did that, you can't build God up, but did that show him to be glorious? Or did that make me think I could be glorious? I could be as glorious as him? You know, that's the, for me, that's one of the ways that I use to, to see Okay, so that's chapter 2. Chapter 3, which is where we are now. Chapter 3, Peter starts to talk about true prophecy. And he, so it, it, in a way, chapter 2 is false teaching and the consequences. And chapter 3 is true teaching and the consequences. Uh, yeah, so he starts well and he ends well. And in the middle, he puts all the horrible stuff. So, <laughs> but he doesn't end well straight away because he wants to talk to us about the fact that um, true... Some, the, the truth about God and the truth about prophecy uh, has consequences. But there are, of course, a, there is a judgment coming for not believing that. Um, so he's encouraging and warning and instructing. What is the purpose of prophetic truth? What is the purpose of prophecy? Because he's going to talk about that and has been. What is the purpose of prophecy in Scripture? Yeah. To warn, yeah. Yeah. Why why has God written prophecy? Why did he inspire people to write down his word, his 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 pro prophetic word, i.e. what is coming? Why would he do that? Yeah. So that we can see it being revealed. But even before that Yeah, I think it's Deuteronomy 28, 28, or one of those, 29, 29. It's um, the secret things belong to the Lord. But the, I um, can't remember the exact, let me get there. Deuteronomy, I think it's 28, 28. Um, 28. No, it must be 29. 20, oh, yes, 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. So there's, there's this kind of sense in there that God deliberately and specifically revealed certain things which would be to our benefit to know. And one of the things is that there's judgment coming and that he is coming back. Christ is coming back. Well, that's two things, but, you know, that that's going to happen. And so... but. But why do that for you? I mean, that's, that's what people do in intimate relationship. They share information, and God's sharing information with us so that we can know what's going to come. But, but why? Why do that? 
prepare us, yeah, and? Is it sort of a plumb line to <coughs> give us the direction when the day comes? Yeah, what I've said, I so think so, yeah. Where I am and they not. Yeah. Well, That's not the answer on my card, so. Not yeah, yeah. Don't you think there's a certainly a, a sense that God's revealing things to us about what will happen because we are to live in the light of what will happen rather than what we see with our human eyes. We are to live with the eyes of our faith open. So now I know Christ is coming back and I know there will be judgment. I have a choice to make. As soon as I know that, Christ is coming back, and it could be today, I have a choice to make. How will I live this day in the light that Christ might be coming back today? And that choice is repeated over and over and over again. The more prophecy we know, the more choices we have. If you know judgment is coming, the day of the Lord is coming, and mankind will ultimately stand before God individually and have to receive the judgment what does that cause you to do, to want to do? And exactly. You want to snatch them, don't you? You want to just be, just every moment of every day, you, your desire now is, Lord, I don't want this one to go and that one to go and the man on the street corner and the, and the guy in the news agents and the lady who's, you know, at the till in, in uh, Tesco's. I want them to know you so that on that day, they won't be lost. Prophetic truth is not given to us so that we can argue about, you know, well, I think, that I think the rapture's before the tribulation, and I think it's in the middle, and, and if you say it's at the end, well, I'm sorry, we have to break fellowship. You know, it, that's not what it's about. All of the truth that God reveals to us is so that we will live in a different way. And, and the thing is, we know that. Everybody's nodding. Everybody's nodding. But do you, really? I mean, I have to ask myself that question. Do I wake up in the morning and think, Jesus, you might be back today. How am I going to live? Most mornings I don't. Because most mornings I wake up with things, distractions and, and you know, Brexit or this or that or the other thing. And, and it just crowds into your mind. And so Peter is saying, I'm never going to stop reminding you of all this stuff. I'm never stopping reminding you. I think the time, I'm, time for my departure is near. I think I'm going to be going. But I want to keep reminding you until I go. Because your life and how you live it is important in this, in this day. And you have choice. Choice all the time. And... And the thing is that for Peter, for Paul, for all the New Testament writers, what you choose shows what you know about God. So, I mean, you know, when, Peter, when Paul will say, I think it's 1 Corinthians, um, somewhere in there, 13, he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Because it's important. And there is a way to test yourself. There's a way to test yourself. What would be the, the ultimate way to test yourself, to see if you are in the faith? To consider your ways. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, oh my goodness, we'd all end up in a heap, probably. Mm. Well, maybe some of us wouldn't, but you know. Mm. So even more than that, actually. Yes, consider your ways. Yes, look at how you've lived your day. Yes, do those things. But you're going to do those things and do what at the end of the day? So you look at your day and you haven't done well. So what are you going to do? There you go. You're going to ask for forgiveness and ask the Lord to keep you in you know, short accounts. Yes. Why will you do that? Because I might not get... No, no, no. No, that, no. wrong answer, wrong answer. Why will you do that? Why will you do it? Hmm? Because you love God, because you love him. Because the more you know God, you can't help but love him more, because he's fantastic. So the more you know God, the more you love him, the less you like doing things that don't please him. And so you're constantly going through this, Lord, I messed up again. 
I'm so sorry, I don't want to mess up tomorrow. How can I not mess up tomorrow? And that process goes on all the time. If that process doesn't go on, that is a really great test that you don't know God. Because all of them say, if you know God, that's how you'll live. I, you know, it's not the super spiritual saint who will do that. It's everybody who knows and loves God. Um, why is it important that we love God? <laughs> That's why we love him. Yeah, but why, why is it important that we actually love is the predominant emotion and feeling about God rather than fear or wanting to obey or all of those things? Why is love the ultimate thing? Because God is love and... And our lives have been transformed by that love. Yes, and... Uh, true, yeah, this, yeah, and... Mm? He loved us first. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, we love because he first loved us. Yeah, but yeah, that you love one another and love God first. But the thing is, you can't present a God that you don't love or don't know, even if you tell me all the facts about God and you tell me what he's done and how he's done it and who he is. If you don't love that God, if that hasn't brought you to love him with every part of your being, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind, if that hasn't had that result, then he's not the God that I want to know. I want to know a God who inspires me to love that way or who loves me that way and gives me that love. And that God is, that is the God that we represent. The God who loves us so much. And, and not just loves us so much, but cares whether we love him. Because we said this morning, you could have, he could have made robots. Why didn't God make people who had to love him? Why didn't he just do that? It's much simpler. I used to ask that all the time. Why don't you just make me holy? Just make me righteous immediately. Why? Why doesn't he do that? He's building on trust in him. Yeah. Reliance upon him. Yes, and our reliance, yes. Day by day, you're developing the life which is lost in Adam. Yes, that's true. And then he gave us free will. Yes. Yeah. So why did he give us free will? So we could make that choice. So we could freely love him. It doesn't change when we come to know the Lord. It's exactly the same. Every choice has to be free choice, that we freely choose to serve. We freely choose to love. Because love that is ordered or forced is not love. So, so it's like we have to love God. We don't have to, but we do love God. And by loving God, we present that God to a world that needs to know who he is. And that's what Peter's talking about. That's what he's talking about all through this letter. As he's talking about judgment, he's talking about us. This is how you live if you love God. Not this is how you ought to live. See, I, all the time you hear, should do this, ought to do this, you know, must do this. But Peter's, Peter's whole thing is this is how you will love. If This is how you will live if you love God, if you know God. This is what you will do because this is the outcome of a person who knows God and loves him. So um, he's going to go on in chapter 3 to tell us certain things that all true Christians have, should believe, or do not should, I can't say should, do believe. All true Christians believe that Jesus is coming back. If you don't believe that Jesus is coming back, you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus. Even in communion, when we take communion, Paul says, when you drink the blood, uh, wine and eat the bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every true believer proclaims the Lord's death, believes that Christ is coming back. And all true believers, all real believers, understand that that knowledge motivates the church to live a certain way, motivates us individually and is the motivation for the church to live a certain way. Because, and we've already said, because we know he could come back today, we are motivated to live in a way that will um, witness to him. And Peter says that if we have this attitude, um, then we will be eagerly anticipating, expecting the return of Jesus um, and 
if we're eagerly anticipating the return of Jesus, what will happen to every other thing in our life? If you thought he was coming back through the door now, well, he won't come through the door, but, you know, if, if he calls us up in the air now, what, how would you want to be seen by him? Just think about what Peter says. Everything else will pale into insignificance. Yeah, not everybody, because everybody suddenly becomes someone that you might want to. Yeah, but things, definitely things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know that we've been talking about. I'm, I've just extended. We've just extended on the flat in London, so we're putting off again, going back to Warwickshire for six more weeks. And but we didn't do that until Monday, and we were due to leave tomorrow morning. So it was like down to the wire and I sent Rosie an email and said actually we're not going so things are much more relaxed for me she said you certainly like to live on the edge (laughs) (laughs) and I I realized that it is like living on the edge although it didn't feel like that but that statement but then I realized that's how the Christian life is I don't mean that in a bad way like you're going to fall off a cliff but living on the edge living on yeah, expectantly. And actually, excitedly. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know I, I'm right here and I'm ready. You know, Peter will say, be diligent to, you know, be spotless and blameless and at peace with him, or every spot and blemish, he'll say. Um, so that when you see him, you're going to run towards him mm. instead of shrinking back. That's what. John will say, don't, you, know, you don't want to be one of those who shrink back at his coming. You want to be running. And how will you do that? How will you be one of those who runs? We can't bring Ephesians in too. That would be too much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's true. And how will you have full confidence in that love? Yeah, that's that's beautiful. So, how will you have that love, that confidence? <coughs> yeah, it's a feeling, but by knowing him, the more you know him, the more confident you'll be in him. Yeah, you're, you're more confident. And the thing is, um, that knowing God in that relationship. I mean, you can be born again and and be a believer in Jesus, but you can. Uh, slow down the work of transformation in your life. You can quench the spirit, grieve the spirit, just totally stay in the same place. You can, you can meet him face to face, still being a baby Christian. You can be a carnal Christian. So you still have choice when you are in the family. It, 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 it doesn't change. And, you know, there's lots of examples, aren't there? I mean, um, uh, Jonah, when he had to go to Nineveh, he didn't want to go, but he went. And his statement was, in 40 days, this whole city's coming down and God's going to judge you. And they repented. And God changed his mind. Or he did not do what he'd said through Jonah he would do. And when, they wanted to go in, when he wanted them to go into the promised land, they came out of Egypt, Numbers 13 and 14. They go in, 12 of them, 10 give a bad report. They don't go in. But it was right there for them. They could have gone in. But instead, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. What we do matters. Somehow, in some amazing way, God has decided to limit himself and and be moved by our behavior and our action and our trust. Mm -hmm. So, in a way, if we're looking eagerly and waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus... And if we know that God is not slow about his promise, but wanting everyone to come to repentance, and with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. So if we know that he wants to come back, and if we know that he's waiting for everyone to come to repentance, then we're here in the middle understanding that the way I live not only affects me, but it affects everything. It even affects how God, not how, but when he when he does things and when and how he chooses to do things. I mean, that's just enormous, isn't it? It's enormous. And, but he does. And, um, yeah. And Peter wants them to understand this, 
that there'll be people around scoffing and mocking and saying that everything's carrying on the same as it's always been. There'll be people who, who just don't be ridiculous. How do, you, do you really think? I mean, don't be ridiculous. We're not, you know, did he even really come the first time? And, you know, will he, will he come back the second time? There'll be people who say, how can you believe in a God when all this suffering's going on? Or people who will say, well, the world's been as wicked as it is now, and what goes around comes around, and we'll go into a new age of, of, of righteousness and holiness and good living, and we'll all get educated, and somehow we'll become more kind, and we'll be able to solve the world's problems, and therefore everyone will be happy. This is just... And so the, the thought of a, of a need for a God to come the first time is ridiculous and the second time is even more ridiculous. Mm. That's going to come more and more. That's why I think next study is going to be unafraid and unashamed because we are headed for really difficult, difficult days. Mm. And, and it's going to be, we are going to look ridiculous to stand and say, I believe in a, a redeeming God. I believe in a God who will judge sin. I believe in a God who has offered salvation. That's going to look ridiculous. It already does. And it's going to get more. Um, but we have faced up to the old man and dealt with the old man. We have repented. <laughs> we know what we know. What we know that we know that we know that we know. Yeah. I don't know that I ever really faced the old me, and I'm not sure I want to. <laughs> um, I think God's really gracious with that, actually, and that he just peels the onion one layer at a time, <laughs> and um, we see what we can see and repent of that. So, but yeah, you're right, Mike. I mean, go ahead, Eve. Can I just ask a question? Basically, someone who's prominent in the local church preaches and teaches has brought in Yes. Is this a Christian school or a Christian? <coughs> Ours is a Christian school. Who? Oh, I didn't. Okay, it's a Christian school, is yes, it? My grandchildren go there. Mm. What class was that? <laughs> 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 well, it, it's it's. It what happens in what way? What what do? Well, it's better for them. It's better for them. They all talks about those that. Yeah. Millstone, yeah. So ultimately, they're going to face judgment. And also, what you have to say is it's like everything else, isn't it? You're witnessing for a God you know. You know Jesus. You know him in relationship. And you know that mindfulness is wrong. It can't be right. So now you've got the question well, it's so obvious to you and it would be obvious to everybody who reads the scriptures that it can't be right so now you've got the, the obvious fact that that person doesn't know God at least not the way they should know him and does, certainly doesn't read the scriptures it's like Christian yoga it's like all of that stuff the, the, there is no such thing as Christian yoga yeah. I There's was no say they called a lot of Christian mindfulness in churches mm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It yes. You see, that's what, well. I think that's what we're talking about, actually. Tim's just pointed out to that verse twelve. Is it? Yeah. Like unreasoning animals, they do things. They, you know, we have to have that discernment, don't we? We have to be able to know. And the thing is, 
to tell her and say that's not the way to go, that is just not right, you're then, she's then faced with her choice. What does she do about that? If she's a believer in the Lord Jesus, then you would hope that she is going to go to the scriptures or talk to you some more or do something. But then if she does none of those things, you're going to have to assume or pray for her and talk to her as if she is an unbeliever. Because what else can you do? Um, and then maybe, I don't know, the Lord will lead you, won't he, whether to go to the headmistress, whether to go to the school, headmaster. What, what headmaster, what to do. Um, because I think that... I think days are coming where we can't be silent anymore. We've been a silent church for so long. We, c we just can't be silent. So, and, and I think we have to be unafraid and unashamed and, and just be... Just, okay, I, I might look ridiculous. No one might listen, but I have to speak. I have to speak. You know, we've been t fed this stuff about just, just live the gospel. Just live it. You don't have to tell people. Just live it. You don't have to speak about your faith. You can just live like a good person. Well, I lived in Japan. There's a load of good Buddhists and Shintos who live there. You know, there's lots of good people around the world. Probably, yeah. Yes, 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 because deception is so attractive you know because actually i don't want to look ridiculous yeah. it, it i don't i don't want to look ridiculous i don't want people leaving me out of everything or turning away when i walk down the street i don't want to be that person it, intrinsically humans want to be accepted and liked and respected that's what we want and so as soon as you put yourself out there and say something the opposite will happen and so when you hear that deception, which has taken many strands, hasn't it? Get the Bible out of school, get the Bible out of church, get the Bible out of everywhere, the word of God lost in the house of God. Um, when you hear, well, you don't really want to bash them with the gospel straight away because they're just going to get, a, you know, they're going to run a mile. You kind of think, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe there's something in that. Maybe I should just be their friend and live and love them and take them to my church. And, and maybe we, don't, we just want a nice, uplifting message. We don't really want to tell them the truth, yeah. challenge yeah. them. You can go along with it. And, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what the Bible... T I think I, ha I had a good friend who, who, d who died. Well, Rosie and Brian also knew her. Um, she said to me once years ago... She said, if she, in her experience, if people had been knocked over by the first wave of um, mm. deception, it's like being in the sea. You know, when you're trying to get out of the sea and the waves are strong, mm. <laughs> you, you, get, you just make it out on the, sort of almost onto the beach and you're out the first wave and then the next one comes in and shh, over you go again. And it gets harder and harder and harder to get up mm. because the, each wave Not takes you <laughs> further, yeah. And that's what happens with deception. If you take in the first lot, you're much quicker to go down with the second. And that's, I think that's what happens. Mm. And that's such a simple one, isn't it? You just think, I mean, Paul, so we've even got it on the wall. <laughs> what yes. is the power of God to salvation? The good news. Mm. And that has to be spoken. The gospel has to be spoken. Yeah. Why? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's what you're saying, Mindy, isn't it? Really, you, you going with you. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, good. That's really good. We've got loads more, by the way, if you want them. Yes, mm. I cannot believe mm. that many. And somebody who dreamt she was born again, you know, has been a Christian for years, whipped one up and said, you know, I mean, yeah. the Lord is doing yeah. something. 
but actually th- th- that's the thing you see, that's the saddest thing, is that people come into a church building looking for truth. That's the only reason they go in, because their life is a mess usually, they're in despair, they've lost hope, so they're going there because they think maybe there'll be hope there, maybe there'll be truth there. And what they're getting often is just a mismatch of, of uh, yeah, you know, bits of this and bits of that. And, 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 and they're going away just as desperate as they were when they went in. That's the tragedy. And, and the church or believers who fall for that deception are going to be held accountable. We will. We will have to answer for that. Because just we have choice and it matters what we choose. And, and it matters that we put ourselves in the way of knowing truth. You know, I mean, there's these well, has the best-selling book of all time. You can buy any translation. You can. I mean, how many Bibles have you got on your shelf? Let's have a competition. How many have you got? We've all got lots of Bibles, right? There's no reason why people can't get the truth. But the big problem is that they go into places where they think they're going to get it, and they don't. That's what Peter's really talking about. He's talking about what sort of people should you be in holy conduct and godliness? What, what sort of people should you be? Not that you should be holy, have holy conduct, conduct and godliness. He's assuming you do. Yeah. He's not saying, this is how you should have, this is what you do to get holy conduct and godliness. He's saying, what sort of people should you be in your holy conduct and godliness? Yeah. Because right at the beginning, it says you have obtained what Exactly, obtained. yes. And he, and he confers with Paul as well. Yes, exactly. So he says everything for life and godliness has already been made available to you. So in that life and godliness, what sort of people should you be as you wait eagerly for the coming of Christ? And he's going to say, um, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. How will you be spotless and blameless? How will that, how will that happen? <laughs> Yeah, actually, yeah, because what you'll do is at the end of every day, you'll say, Lord, I messed up on here, and probably I messed up in places I don't know yet that I messed up or I sinned, so I'm asking you for forgiveness for what I know. I confess my sin, and he is faithful and just to purify me from all unrighteousness and to forgive my sins. And if we can get into the way of doing that regularly, then I think we can start every day spotless and blameless under the blood of Jesus, mm-hmm. cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we can go again. We can go again and decide, you know, this day, it might be today, and I want to be at peace with you and, and be doing your work. Um, he talks about that um, godliness. The word for godliness in this chapter 3 is the same as in chapter 1, and it actually means to worship well. Yes, it's a strange word, and it means to worship well. So worship is what? What's worship? Because it's not singing and music. I mean, that's a type of worship. But what is worship? Giving God, his worth. giving God what he's worth. Worship. So you're giving him what he's worth. So um, what sort of people should you be in holy conduct and worship? Holiness is consecrated, you're holy, you're consecrated, dedicated. So if you know you're consecrated, set apart for God, dedicated to God, and you want to worship him well, what sort of people will you be? Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Insofar as God enables, we will be perfect. But we will be like him. That's what John says, doesn't he? He says, we don't know when we see him what, what, he'll be, what he'll be like or what we'll be like, but we know we'll be like him. Because, and why will we be like him? Because we have been diligent to, to, be, to come before him, to be in, live at peace with him, and to be uh, spotless and blameless. And he says, Peter says, it's possible for us to hasten the coming of the Lord Jesus. I mean, right, well... You and I, and as a body of believers, we can hasten the coming of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want him to come back soon. You know, And we can hasten that as we live 
loving him and as we live for his glory and as we determine, Lord, keep me so close to you that I cannot hear even the deception that's out there, that, I, that I'm never taken into it, even a step into it. You know, just keep me so close. A long time ago, right in the beginning of my Christian life, I knew a woman, crazy Californian woman, and um, she used to say that she always prayed that God would keep her on a very short lead mm -hmm. so that she would never go very far mm -hmm. from him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's been my prayer. Because it's so easy, because Satan can deceive even the elect. So, um, as we come to the end then, uh, Peter had talked in, in the cha second chapter about our light. He said, um, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Um, how are we going to make sure that, it is, or we do whatever we can do to live in the light of that lamp that is shining. How, how are we going to do that, just to round up? How are we going to do that? Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Yeah, we will grow in the grace of our, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. But how will that happen? Like, because we've said that God has limited himself in some ways to our choices, so he won't force us into transformation. Uh, it's a promise for those who want it. Yes, there you go. It's the same three words. Always it's the same three words. How will we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ? How will, we, or how will all this be done? We'll pray a lot. We'll read the word a lot. Listen to God speak a lot. And then the last word. So pray the word and... Oh, you're going to surrender to what you hear and what you read. And that's the big one. You know, lots of people can pray. Lots of people read the word. But it takes something else to live the sort of life that Peter's talking about. And it's that surrender to the truth. Not just surrender in a bad way, but surrender to, I don't know how, what do you mean by the precious and magnificent promises, Lord? What do you mean that I can be a sharer in your nature? I, I don't really understand that. But I trust it because you say so. I don't know how I'm going to add godliness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance because those things are so difficult for me. But you say you've already done that for me, so I'm going to lay hold of them. It's, it's, it's that step by step by step trusting what God says and living according to it. And honestly, you know without me saying, it is going to be more and more important that we do that in these days. Um, Yes. So if they believe that you believe it, you know, yes. Nobody be trusting you. Yes. They, they are. Exactly. And I think that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Anne. Yeah. 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 And we've we've talked a lot, haven't we, about the fact that if we if we think of ourselves as sinners, if you think of yourself as a sinner you tend to live like a sinner. If you think of yourself as a saint, you tend, at least you have the desire to live like, like a saint. And it's all in the desire, isn't it? Because ultimately we do what we want to do. And so if our desire, if we know God has put me in this place and he's called me a saint, he has said that I am holy in the beloved. I am holy in Christ Jesus. He is in me and I am in him. Then everything, I find this desire in me to be what he says I already am. Mm. And in that way I'm assured about my salvation and I grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and I love God better and serve him more and yeah, and everything. Everything happens in the way God wants it to. Um, so, any questions about the last chapter or the last parts of the last chapter? I'm going to ask Tim to say something, actually. You probably don't know about um, uh, values, the values thing yes. that you... Yeah. I would, I'd really appreciate it if you could. Mm -hmm. Just Has anyone got any questions beforehand?
No, because you all know what it says, and you're doing what it says, and everything's good, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're all there doing it. Okay, I'll just pray to him if that's all right, mate. So, Father, we just want to thank you. I, th I want to thank you for this letter. Thank you for the truth in it. Thank you for the way that you minister such wonderful promises to us, and that those precious and magnificent promises that we can stand on and wrap ourselves in and know, Lord, that, that you will make good on, on your word. And I thank you for it. Lord, help us to understand the bits that are more difficult. Help us to know that our choices matter to you and that you will enable us to be and to do all that we want to be and do as we trust you. Thank you, Lord, that, that you love us Thank you that we can love you because of that great love that you have for us. And thank you, Lord, that you are right here with us, day by day, moment by moment, ready to guide and lead and direct, mm -hmm. and waiting only for us to say, Lord, here I am, use me. So I thank you, Father, for this study. I pray for everyone here and the ones who are not here this evening, that you will um, enable and encourage and, and, and show us, Lord, how to be in the days that are coming. Um, help us to talk about you, Lord, more easily, to, um, to be unafraid and unashamed, Lord. And then when we come back in two weeks' time, to be ready to look at another wonderful letter in your word. So I thank you, Father, for everyone who's here. I thank you that you are here amongst us. And we want to say, Lord, that we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.